0: This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number
1: 228.
0: Hello, veterinary friends. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today I have an exciting guest. For you, it's Dr. Cheryl Good. She's a small animal practitioner in Dearborn, Michigan. She graduated from Michigan State University College of Veterinary Medicine, go Spartans. She's the chief veterinary officer at Dearborn Family Pet Care here in Dearborn, Michigan. She was the medical director for a local animal shelter run by Friends for Animals of Metro Detroit for 25 years. And Dr. Good was a member of the North American Veterinary Community and on the Board of Directors for seven years and is one of their past presidents um, in 2019. She is a founding board member of the Veterinary Virtual Care Association and the Chief Veterinary Officer of the Bridge Club. And she's also a member of the World Small Animal Veterinary Association She's on the Animal Wellness and Welfare Committee and is a mentor for new graduates as a member of MentorVet. Did I get it all? That was a I mouthful. Think you got it all. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Cheryl. I'm so do you need a break? Here. What's that? I
1: said, do you need a break now?
0: I know. I'm like out of breath. That's like a huge bio. You're a joiner, it looks like. I thought I was a joiner. I think you're more so than I am.
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess I am. I, Are you one I of had, those
0: people that when someone asks for a volunteer, your hand just you you just go up because
1: you just yeah I had yourself. and I had to learn over time to to say no. That was really hard to say no or to realize you know especially I, I was the medical director for the animal shelter for so long, but then when I became president of the North American Vet Community Board. I realized I can't do both of those because I was going to be traveling so much for the one and being so involved that that was when I went off the animal shelter board after 25 years. So that was a big deal.
0: Yeah. And that was probably hard to do. Those big changes are hard. I find that I get kind of like attached to things and so it's (laughs) hard to leave.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I always ask everyone that's on the podcast to tell their veterinary story and basically kind of how you decided to become a veterinarian, how that all panned out as much or as little as you want to tell,
1: um, sure.
0: what's your veterinary story?
1: So I think mine started very similar to a lot of veterinarians in that um, I, the minute I learned what a veterinarian was, which was I was a very young child, I I decided that's what I wanted to do. So when I was, um, I don't know, two or three, I kept saying, I want a dog, I want a dog. And my parents were like, okay, when you learn to read? Well, my mother was a teacher, so (laughs) I learned to read at four. (laughs) So then they went, whoops, (laughs) I guess we're not ready. So they uh, pushed me off till I was seven. Um, We got our our dog, Black Lab, Spooky. And we took him to the vet and the veterinarian was Dr. Colmery, Ben Colmery, the dentist. Oh yeah,
0: I know Ben um, Colmery. That's yeah. awesome.
1: And so he was our spooky's vet and became like well, I was just like, wow, I'm in awe of him and I wanna be him. And then I was reading all of the um, you know, all creatures great and small, the James yeah, Harriet. James Harriet. And then I yeah. wanted to be James Harriet. And right. <laughs> yeah, went- we all
0: did. Yeah. Yeah, it
1: just went on and on and um Unfortunately, my dog Spooky, when he was young, he was about six or seven, he developed an immune disease. And so Mm -hmm. he was at Dr. Colmery's a lot. And then he even was up at Michigan State a lot. And we lost him, you know, as a young, younger dog. Um, And that even fueled the fire for me even more. You know, I really want to be able to help animals like Spooky, right? I wanted to. Right. You uh, said
0: if I was a vet, I'd have saved him. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well. (laughs) <laughs> or, at or at least, least that, was, that was that was what you it, thought, right? yeah. Or you want to yeah.
0: you want to know, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's true when you're a kid, you know.
1: Yeah. So I just you know all my life I feel like I was just gearing everything towards that. So you know I found my parents took me. I think it was just my mom took me to um, what was that? The open house at Michigan State.
0: Oh yeah, that was Veta visit.
1: Yeah, Veta visit. That and, was so uh, fun. Yeah, at least that was yeah. That that was really fun. And I, and I, you know, that just made me want to go there even more. And, you know, back then, I, when I applied to um, Michigan State as an undergrad, I applied to Michigan State, knowing that I was going to go to vet school at some point, right? That's right, that was right. That's
0: exactly but, what I did.
1: Yeah. But only applied to Michigan State, you know, mm-hmm. went undergrad, and then I started applying, you know, to vet school as soon as I could. And, you know, ended up getting into vet school after I finished my biology degree. And, so it just was like, boom, boom, boom. And and prior to getting in, you know, you need to have experience, different kinds of experience. So, right. um, you know, living in Ann Arbor, as I did um, at growing up, we had veterinarians in Ann Arbor that I was able to observe with. I didn't observe with Dr. Colmry, but I was able to observe with one of the other vets in the Ann Arbor area. And then one of the Large animal vets. I went on farm calls with one of the large mm. animal vets in yeah. uh, in the area as well. Um, and then my father worked for Warner Lambert Park Davis, and he had some friends um, at the VA hospital, and so they actually got me in to working in their animal, um, their lab animal uh, section, if you will. So I was able to learn from, you know, the the handlers and the lab animal. I think it was called. Lark or Lara, I can't remember exactly. Um, But I was also able to, to stand in and watch surgeries that they were doing. Um, And I even knew some family friends, they had like, were doc up and coming doctors, and they were learning. And so that was really incredible. I that my first exposure to anesthesia and surgery was Yeah,
0: yeah, you were like, around the medicine early on, which a lot of, you know, a lot of people didn't get that.
1: Yeah. And I guess, you know, I always I, I always wanted to be James Harriet because I loved all animals and I was thinking, oh, I'll I'll be I'll do all the animals. And then I started liking the lab animals. And, you know, so I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to do everything. But of course, right. once I got into vet school and you get even more exposure, I I realized, you know, I think I better just stick to small animal. So that's right. what I ended up doing.
0: Yeah, I thought I wanted to be a horse vet for a while because I loved horses and I worked at the track. In Detroit, that Detroit racetrack, when I was in high school. And I loved that. It was, you know, the best thing was mucking stalls. I just thought that was so fun. But um, then when I started really working around horses, and I was like, "Mm," you know, I I don't want to get kicked in the face.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I don't want to be
0: outside in Michigan in the middle of the winter. You know, I started getting a little wimpy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's how you got
0: small. And you did exotic, you do exotics, right?
1: Well, the only exotics that I do um, or did, I don't really do a whole lot anymore, were, you know, pocket pets. I did some birds. Um, one of my first patients was a snake <laughs> <So> with, <laughs> with skin mites. You never forget that.
0: Right, I right. Treat
1: this. Look it up really quick. Yeah. Oh, I can, okay, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, not not a lot of exotics, but just, you know, the... The little pocket pets mostly that people have ferrets and guinea pigs and rabbits and rats. I, I had some great rat patients. I really yeah, rats
0: them. are kind of cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I wouldn't think they are, but they are. They have cool personalities. Yeah. So once once you got through veterinary school, then did you go right to Dearborn, that clinic? Or yeah. did you go to that was so that's been Yeah, your so
1: so I worked for graduate. somebody else though, and not right. not the practice that I'm in right now that I okay. own. That but that I I worked for um, I thought you know at first I'm like you know I don't want to be in Michigan I want to I want to spread my wings I want to you know check out other places so I actually interviewed in Connecticut and Illinois and just all over the place um, but ended up getting a good good um, offer for a job in Dearborn so I ended up working in Dearborn um, for another practitioner and worked there. For about seven years, before I bought my practice.
0: Yeah, and then you owned your owned your own. Just you, single okay. owner, no partners. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. single. Owner. So,
0: tell me about that because I do have a lot of veterinarians on the podcast, and I I was an owner. You know that you're right. an owner. Um, I find that that's really intimidating. It seems to younger veterinarians right now. So tell me what your opinion is on that. Like what do you think's good about ownership? What do you think the challenges are? What kind of personality do you need?
1: Like all those kind of things. So I'm kind of a person that sort of wings it, I guess. <laughs> you know, and I think you may be too, but um when I when I became a veterinarian, it never dawned on me that I would ever own a practice. You know, I I just wanted to practice medicine and take care of my patients and my clients. And I didn't want to own a practice. Hmm. But when you, you know, as I was working for someone else, um, unfortunately, I didn't have a great, in my opinion, my boss wasn't ideal. Um, and thankfully, I did have men- a mentor, another veterinarian there. Otherwise, I may have switched jobs. But I started I started looking at how that business was run and thinking to myself, I can, I can do better. I don't have any business background, but I feel like I can take care of my team better, Mm -hmm. um, make it a place where, you know, people want to come to work um, and be able to, in doing that, make a success and also maybe have a bit more time for my own family too. Um, yeah. because then you can, you know, I know a lot of young vets might think, well, if you're the owner, then you're, all you're going to be doing is working, working, working. Well, that's not true. That's how I felt. Then you, can, then you can set your own hours. So yeah,
0: you can um, close the hospital if you want.
1: If, yeah. I mean, that's what I liked about <laughs> it. It's
0: like, Hey, if yeah. I want to go on vacation and I can't find anyone to work, I can just close the doors,
1: you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. it, it that that part of it would give me anxiety but I oh, still sure. you still could do it right you still right, could you do still it right you still had and, that option Yeah so I I decided um, I was I was looking to own a practice and at the time the, my boss you know wanted to sell me the practice I was working at but then I it was just way too much money so I started checking around and I ended up you know I was I was deciding should I should I buy that or should I start like do a startup and have a little storefront and create something but then this other smaller animal hospital just sort of I found out through another vet that this other one was going up for sale it hadn't even gone on the market yet and spoke with the owner and um he was kind of backing off on his duties and and the amount of time he was spending so it was it was ripe for the picking if you will because right. yeah. you know it wasn't as expensive as the other one was going to be So I was able to kind of step in. He was working as one vet. I was coming in as one vet, but it grew so quickly. So that within you know, a few years, I had two more veterinarians working with me, and then we just outgrew the space, and we ended up having you know, I bought I bought it in '95, and by 2003, we moved into the new building that we built. Nice. So it it was pretty quick. Yeah. Um, And and it just seemed to, it just made me happier being in an environment that I was able to create along with, um, a lot of the other, um, people that I kind of brought with me. So I, I brought some veterinary technicians and I brought some veterinary assistants with me, Yeah, um, some people that were there and we were able to create a really nice culture. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for the new vets coming out, you know, look, you know, if they're, if they're looking to, to maybe have a little bit more money, realistically, because oh yeah, your, your yeah you can way,
0: make way more money as an owner. Yep, you. I mean, it's money. getting better now for associates than it used to be, but but there's so many things you can do as the owner, as far as you know, like IRAs right. and you know, right. you have profit share. You know, there's profit.
1: And, yeah, but but then, but you're able to create a, a something great, you know, right. and and, and, uh, and have more time because I for yourself because i when i became a vet i got married like the next year so i started working for somebody got yeah. married the next year got pregnant the next year and so then i was pregnant for 5 years so yeah. it's like it was hard to to kind of finagle that working for somebody else sure but you know once i was able to you know become the owner and set my own hours then i could say okay and thank God for my husband, because he was able to, to pitch in with all the kids. But right. I was able to say, OK, on this day, I'm going to take off a couple hours because I want to go help out at this school or I want to go to this event. Or So you really, I, I made it a point all the way through my kids' younger years and even into college that I was just present and always there, but always, as you know, with all the things I, I did, even outside of practicing, always found time for that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I didn't so your need life was really full. Day. It's it's very full, your life. Yeah. And, and so many things you've gotten to do. Well, that just kind of like springboarded my brain into a question about um, because May is mental health awareness month. Right. And um, so I've been trying to talk a little bit about that. And um, this podcast should come out in May. Um, and so the question then is is what do you think about The problems that we're having with our mental health right now in vet med, can some of those be solved in this ownership space or, you know, how did you manage that mom, the mom duties, the mom guilt with the ownership piece? Like, like you and I have similar stories around that, but what would your advice be or how can you explain to people, you know, how you can coordinate all that and still maintain a healthy mental state, you know, and not right. get sucked into that work too much and be present for your kids. Like you said, and be in the school stuff. And
1: so for me, um, and I kind of have to take you back a little bit to mm-hmm. my college years, yeah, my vet school years, because, um, I did have during my college years, pre my pre-vet years, and then into vet school, I did have a lot of stressors that, um, and thankfully stressors, stressors that I needed help with, you know, I needed mental help with, you know, right. like I needed someone to talk to um, mm-hmm. because there was just too much, um, right. you know, a long-term, you know, a boyfriend that, that I had had for five years, there was a breakup, right. And I, pri- just prior to that, his Mom and dad passed and his grandparents passed. So I was wow. dealing with that sadness. And then my grandfather passed, who was like I was super, super close with him. Thought I, I was his favorite, but it was my mom's dad. So just so much stress. Right. That I was started, you know, I was a young kid in vet school. I'm like I'm starting to act out. <laughs> what am I doing? You know, like yeah. staying out later doing not studying enough. My grades started suffering. And, you know, thankfully my parents um you know, they recognized that things were going on and they, they, they talked to me, but they said, you know, you need, you need to get help. You need to talk to somebody, you know, a professional, right. Right. That's not, right. At, at, as somebody who's going to be a veterinarian and someone who's like this, a personality that no, I don't need help. I can do it all myself. Right. right?
0: That's what you think. Yeah. That's I what
1: you think, think part but, of
0: our problem.
1: Yeah. But I, but I said, okay, I I listened to them and I Good. said, I'm going to find somebody. So I did. So I, for a number of years, I had a standing appointment and spoke with a therapist. And I think that really helped. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you also have to understand that once you you can never, um, you, you can't do anything in a silo. You always have to have, whether it's, you know, a mental health, mental health specialist or, um, some good friends that you're talking to, or your, you know, partner, or your parents, um, your kids when they become adults. I mean, you have to. You <laughs> yeah, the have kids to will tell that, you what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to know that that it's okay to ask for help mm-hmm. and it's okay to be vulnerable. I, so, I just would put that out there. You know, you really need to 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 give yourself a break and know that you can be a strong woman or a strong man and still ask for help. Right, and, that, and still that, struggle. Right, yeah, yeah. You, you, and I, had, I remember one day, um, and this probably happens to everybody, And but I'm not one that usually breaks breaks down. I'm usually like very stoic. And I remember one day in the old building, I had owned the practice probably just for a couple of years, And it was one of those days where, you know, I had been seeing tough case after tough case. And then all of a sudden I had a bunch of, you know, I had had a really tough euthanasia that I did a long-term, you know, patient of mine. And I remember walking into the surgery room just before surgeries were about to start. And I literally just like fell to the floor and started sobbing. And, Mm -hmm my team came in and they they were aghast they were like oh my god they'd never seen anything like i right, they I'd were never shown out. emotion like that yeah and i think and then i i you know i let it out and then i was done and i was fine but um i think doing that being able to release that mm-hmm. is so important and yeah. not be afraid to do it in front of people
0: you know <laughs> right <laughs> like, right you know, well and i would I would guess on some level that bonded them to you more because yeah. they saw the humanity, you know, yeah. sometimes when you're the boss or the doctor, you know, everybody puts you on this kind of, you know, perfection pedestal. It's bad enough that we do it to ourselves. Right. But then other people do it as well. Oh, you're a vet. You must have it all together, you know, and yeah. just showing them that, you know, there's, we have bad days too. And, you know, we need to cry and, you yeah. know, grief is real and that's all okay. Yeah. So I bet that that was probably a good thing for your team.
1: I yeah, it probably was.
0: Yeah. It probably was. As well as you and just getting it out and being okay with that.
1: Yeah. So I mean, it's and as a as an owner, you know, just being able to give the team um you know some kind of Get together outside of outside of work. Um, Right. I remember I remember taking my team to a spa one time. You know, just to give them a little little break. Yeah. Um, Just bringing in food—that's always always good. Um, (laughs) We all like food. We all like food. Um, and even just buying little little trinkets, you know, to let them know how much they mean to you. You Yeah. Those kinds of things go a long way for mental health. And now there's you know, there's um, a lot a lot more that we can do as owners, right? Um, where we can bring in specialists or they have hotlines they can call if there's issues, just so that the team knows that there's something out there.
0: Yeah, that's getting more and more uh, common. You know, yeah. a lot of the corporations are providing that, a lot of the um, even practices that don't belong to a corporation. I think the owners are just becoming more aware having people in to talk about, you know, communication and, you know, just giving veterinarians the tools to handle all the things that we have to handle, I think is part of it. And then, like you said, the fun stuff.
1: Yeah. That was the best part about being an owner. Yeah. Yeah. And learning to take a breath, right. If you're, you know, if you start feeling like, you know, all this stuff is going on and you know, you might want to like, just let it out. Yeah, but you, you got to be careful about how things sound in front of people, right? How right. how you're gonna say it, and so just taking a breath or walking and closing the door and just taking a few breaths and then coming back out and you know, right in
0: the bathroom. Going that on
1: was, with yeah. that was
0: my trick, and when right I was in the bathroom, owner, I was That's like, nice. the only place nobody's gonna talk to me is in the bathroom, because even when you have your door, your office door closed, they still just yeah, walk in or they knock yeah. and. In the bathroom, you were usually good for at least five or 10 minutes, but sometimes they'd, they'd slip messages under the door. (laughs) I had that happen a few times, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do have to have that. You have to have some tools, Yeah, you know, some breathing exercises or something like that. So, okay. I love all that. So tell me about all these organizations, which one do you want to start with? I want to, I want to pick your brain about all this stuff. Oh my gosh. I've got the bridge Um, club first because I kind of wanted to hear about that. But you tell me.
1: Yeah. So I'm not I'm not really great at giving like a canned this is what what it is, but (laughs) Okay. um, Well just tell me about
0: it. How'd you get involved? Let's start with the bridge club. Tell me about it. How'd you get involved? What do you do with them? That kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So I got involved with them. I actually learned about them at the first veterinary, veterinary innovation summit that I went to in Texas okay, and they were hosting um, kind of like a happy hour get together. So I, I went and um, met a few people and, and said, Oh, they, you know, this is a fun group and it, they're all about networking and um, communication and getting the, everyone involved in the veterinary profession together, not just veterinarians and veterinary technicians, but industry people and that kind of thing anybody that's you know has has their hand in the veterinary world um networking making connections that's what what the bridge Club their is all mission mhm yeah and so and it's all we all do this by hosting hosting virtual um conversations okay and it's, you know whether we bring in you know say a specialist to talk about you know, neurology or something that's, you know, going on in the nutrition world, or we have one, we have a really cool conversation coming up about legislative updates with telemedicine and the BCPR. So just, it's not a seminar. It's not a symposium. It's not, you don't get up there and put up slides. It's um, someone from the bridge club, either um, our our CEO, Catherine, um, or myself or Shannon, who's, we have a veterinary technician, who's the head of our education. So one of us, or, or, or a couple of us would be like the interviewers. So we have a run of show and we interview and we ask questions and then we get audience participation too. So, um, sometimes I'll be in the chat or Shannon will be in the chat and We'll bring some of the questions forward. We don't unmute everybody, and we do it over Zoom. Right. Um, but we, but it's very interactive, which is very cool. Yeah. So the reason, the way I became the um, chief veterinary officer is during COVID. Just like with, I think a lot of um, associations, you know, you started doing a lot of Zoom. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bridge Club started hosting Friday evening happy hours. And so I started going to the virtual happy hours and it was just a way of checking in, you know, how are you doing? How's everyone doing in their practices? Yeah. Yeah. So that was very cool. And um, Catherine and I I hit it off and she was, you know, at the time she wanted to do more things and and just wanted to make sure that uh, she had a veterinarian involved that, would make sure like the medicine was correct and you know everything regarding right. it and medicine was was on the up and up so she asked me if i would be interested and yeah. i thought huh this yes i raised my hand yeah. yes.
0: so so the mission is just to kind of get everyone together and give them kind of a place to network
1: but we're also we're doing a lot more now um you know it's it, it's probably easier for everybody to just go onto the bridgeclub.com and then they'll check it <laughs> they can, out yeah, they can check I, I it out at, but I looked at but, the
0: website I mean it looks really interesting I haven't I haven't joined or or tried it yet but it sounds like something that might be fun to do
1: yeah and we have um we have bridge club pets which is really cool it's it's client facing you know um pet parent facing if you will mm-hmm. and um that's just so much fun because the the pet parents get on to the conversations and show us the pets and get some really great, great questions from them when we bring on, you know, um, a nutritionist or we have like pet toy gadget, you know, conversations. Um, we've had some Halloween and Christmas gadget conversations. We've had, we had a really good conversations about, um, end of life euthanasia. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It is yeah. Really
0: cool. So transitioning off of that, cause you were talking about zoom and telemedicine. Let's go into that. Cause you're into that. That's one of your jobs, yes. right? You're doing the telemedicine. Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. I
1: do. I do telemedicine, um, within my practice, we have, right. uh, we have a platform that we use and I started, I started doing some, well, of course we all do telemedicine, right? When we get on the phone and we talk to our clients, that's, a form of telemedicine.
0: Right. And we never thought that, right? Until COVID. Right. And then we're like, it's, wait, we could do this over the phone. Let's figure this out.
1: Yeah, let's let's do it over, you know, a computer. Let's get mm-hmm. paid for it because it's right. our expertise, right? Mm-hmm. So and, and we can reach more people. That that's the whole thing that I'm excited about. Let's reach more people. Access to care is like access to care. Yeah, that's a big buzzwords. thing right now. Yeah. And and telemedicine and telehealth, um, is a way that you can, you know, bring veterinary medicine to more people, reach more people, and so I I was doing it prior to COVID, and then COVID hit, and it just went crazy. You know, the amount of telemedicine that I was doing, it slowed down a little bit for me, anyways, um, lately. But I'll still have some days where I'll do, you know, I'll be seeing my regular appointments, and then all of a sudden I'll have like three to five telemedicine consults on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, if, if someone calls and says, you know, I have this weird, this weird bump and I just need the doctor to look at it. And I'm like, they're like, okay, well let's do a telemedicine appointment and you can, you know, take some pictures and do a video. And then we talk, you know, text back and forth. So right. it's really great But the frustrating thing for me, and the reason why I love being on the VVCA board, that's the yeah, Veterinary VVCA. Virtual Care Association board. Yep. That's what I was trying to come up
0: with. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We're really, we're really working hard to, you know, create, I guess a safe space, if you will, with all this information of how telemedicine works and how you can do it in your practice and make it so that it's not so scary. Cause I think a lot of veterinarians still go, Oh gosh, I don't think I can do that. It's, it, it's too much or it's going to take up too much time. Yeah. Um, I think if you really look at it, um, it really doesn't, and there's so many ways you can do it. You don't have to have even a, a a platform that you pay can that you pay for. You can use Facetime. You can use Zoom. You can, <laughs> you know, you can do yeah. so many different things with it. Um, but right now, and and that's one of the the talks that the Bridge Club is going to have June 8th um, about telemedicine and VCPR and legislative updates. The frustrating thing is that not all states allow you to establish a VCPR over telemedicine. Over telemedicine. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I know it's really
0: controversial. It's very controversial.
1: Yeah. It's very controversial. Um, I personally feel that you should feel that you should trust your veterinarian to know what they, what you can and can't do. Yeah. What what they feel comfortable with. Yeah. You, so, you know, obviously you can't, Right now, I can't listen to a heart or lungs, you know, over telemedicine. I can't palpate an abdomen over telemedicine. But, you know, how many times I recall in the past or other people, if you have um, an animal that is showing symptoms of, say, urinary tract infection, how many times when you're palpating an abdomen, can you, just from palpating, can you diagnose a stone Or can you diagnose or something else? You have to get a urinalysis. You have to get an x-ray, which Mm -hmm. would be something that if you start off doing a telemedicine appointment, they, you know, you talk back and forth with the owner, you get some video, maybe they uh, or a picture. They show you what the urine looks like where we leaked. Oh, there's a little Mm -hmm. blood. Yeah. That concerns me. So then you say, you know, I am worried about this. Let's schedule an appointment to come in and get an X-ray and a urinalysis right, so, or right. drop off it, You know what I mean? Or drop off a urine sample or something. So, sure. But you, at least you have that point of contact, right? The mm-hmm. first point of contact where because of how busy everyone is, they may have had to wait you know, for that like a week or so while the animal right. is suffering or they have yeah. a horrible ear infection. And this animal has been treated over and over for ear infections, let's say. and you know, the owners can take a swab and show it to you, you know, this is what it looks like. And here's what the ear's looking like. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I think it's safe. Let's, let's send you home with this ear medicine and then follow up and come into the hospital. Let's check the baby in a week and see how we're right. doing. Yeah. You know, just, just to be able to give them some get support. Get them
0: started or give them, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've even had people bring the swabs in to us if they couldn't bring the dog in. Like right. during COVID, we had to get really creative, right? My yeah. hospital went from four doctors. And then during COVID, we had to split into teams of two, you know, that whole beginning thing. And then I had doc- a couple of doctors leave. So it was, and then it was crazy. Right. Right. So I had to do that a lot. I had to do telemedicine and be like, okay, I can't get you in for two weeks, but you can't let a ear infection sit there and brew for two weeks. So yeah. can you just bring me some swab? Like, I know your dog, bring me some swabs. Yeah. You, you know, I can show you how to do it. Um, and then give them the meds or I even had, and this was, you know, I don't know how this would go over with the legal teams uh, that are arguing about all this, but we had times when I couldn't be at the hospital and we had no doctor, but I had lots of texts that needed to work. So we actually did telemedicine with them at the hospital and me virtual, and right. the text would bring the pet in and they would get get me on FaceTime and say, OK, here's what's going on. Here's how much he weighs. Here's his temp. Here's what his ears look like. And I'd say, well, can you swab those ears or can you clean those ears or can you mm-hmm. you know, get some urine or get some blood? And then they'd be like, yep, we'll call you back with the results. And And like we did telemedicine with me, not even there.
1: Yeah. And, and there's a lot of vets who have been doing that. And I think, yeah, that's nice. and
0: it kind of worked really, yeah. really well. I mean, we told the clients, we're like, look, there's no mm-hmm. doctor in the building. So if something really bad happens, you know, something bad could happen and you'd end up at the emergency clinic. But um, but we were able to see a lot of pets that way because my techs yeah. are super capable and they can pretty much do anything. And it was, you know, the only thing I couldn't do is listen to the heart. Like you said, and I couldn't palpate right. them. But I could always say, well, I don't like the way this looks. So set them up an appointment for when I'm there, you know, so I can see them or that one needs yeah. to go to the specialist or, you know, so. But
1: your veterinary technicians, if they're as good as mine, they can detect murmurs, right? Oh, yeah. My techs can listen and, and then they could say, you know, I'm hearing a murmur. And then you could say, well, let's get an x-ray of that chest. And then, you you know, then you could sure. see the x-ray. and. Yeah. 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 I
0: even had them taking x-rays on limping dogs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of things that you can do without actually putting your hands on the patient. And, you know, I I think to me, I get both sides of it. I get the side that doesn't want us to do telemedicine. I understand that there's danger, you know, that something really bad could happen. And, you know, we've done tech appointments when I'm actually in the building and something bad happens, you know, the pet collapses or when they're trying to draw blood or whatever. And then, you know, yeah, catastrophes can happen but so I, I understand that but when I go into human medicine the doctor very rarely puts a hand on you right like they talk to you and then they get all the tests you know and they have the nurses and everyone doing everything so I don't know there there's something something interesting about it how do you feel about the controversy like do you feel um like there's a lot of infighting in the veterinary community about this, or do you think there's a small, there's a small
1: opposition to telemedicine? I think, I think there's a smaller opposition that's very loud. (laughs) Okay. So the people that are
0: against it are very heavily against it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I think, you know, there's also a, a good amount who are for it, but aren't as loud. Um, There's, you know, the, the few. Like they're afraid to speak up. Yeah, they just need. To they speak don't out. want to hear from those love mouths. <laughs> but I think I just think there needs to be more conversation. I feel like we all want the same thing, right? Yeah. So we just need to figure it out and have guardrails, like yeah, like some so kind of rules. Yeah, some kind yeah. of rules around to protect it. our license and, and protect
0: the pets and
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yep. And there has not been one like um, what is it called where, you know, where they try to get your license or, or a charge, or like a board medication.
0: complaint. Yeah.
1: There has not been board one complaint. board complaint, complaint, um, about telemedicine.
0: Yeah. Well, and they're doing it in human medicine. I did it when I was in Florida, my doctor's here in Michigan and I was having a problem and I, I tried to email her and she's like, well, let's do a visit. Let's do a virtual visit.
1: Yeah. I've done that great. too. I had, I had an eye issue and I
0: <laughs> took a picture of my time eye time? And- <laughs> I can check all. I can check all the tests. I can diet,
1: and I can, you know, and uh, you know, we're doctors, right? So we're we're trying to diagnose ourselves, of course. This, you know, and I'm like, I think this is what it is, but I just need, you know, this a human doctor to tell me I'm I'm right or no, you I'm totally or
0: or you're way off.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah.
0: So is that what the the virtual the VVCA is trying to do? Is to try to get the guidelines, or what, what is their mission?
1: so the vvca um we do so many things we have um you know we have an education committee where we um you know try to educate we have all these things out there about and of course i'm again really bad at explaining things That's but- <laughs>
0: okay i'll just keep asking questions i'm um, good at asking yeah. questions but i
1: but we ha- we um so the education committee we try to set up you know what telemedicine is how you can do it you know the different platforms we have like we we're going to create an ethics committee that's kind of a new one um mm-hmm. ethics surrounding telemedicine and telehealth um we we had a couple of symposiums that we did over the last couple of years we didn't do it this past year but we we're only we've only been ex- in existence of like 3 years so yeah. we're very new yeah, it's, um, it's a COVID thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but we're also now working harder towards helping um, establish, We, I mean, we're really trying to push VCPRs um, mm-hmm. being established over telemedicine. And so we're really working hard on that right now. Um, and just with guardrails, right? So we're right. trying to come up with that as well. Yeah. And we have this really cool map um, that you can go on the VVCA website and you can click on a state, and it'll tell you, you know, what the VCPR rules are. You know what's going on there, if if it's allowed or not allowed, and just so everybody knows for each state they they are licensed in, what what is happening and what's and happening it, in that state. That today. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the things that we do. We do a lot, and and we're actually going to be global. Um, really, meaning that. Uh, we're gonna be having members, um board members from Canada, board members from Europe. um, and we're trying to to just be all-encompassing because I think um it's telemedicine is important all over. and yeah. it, again, it's access to care. So. yeah,
0: is there a way to springboard off of what the human medicine has done because do they have like how do they? Do that. Yeah, so that's
1: that we are using um, Their a model. lot of what they've done as a model. Yeah. Okay. And Canada. Um, it, it's legal in Canada to establish VCPRs um, via telemedicine so we're, they're helping as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Humans are a little easier, I think, because they can communicate better than the pets can.
1: And sometimes the babies can't, but babies can't. Right. Exactly. And you have to rely on the parents. Right. Yeah. I always
0: thought that if I, if I wasn't a vet, I'd probably be a
1: pediatrician because it's so similar. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, a a baby who's having an issue, you can still do telemedicine with their parent. Right. Showing the baby. Yeah. Yeah. What's happening. So I think that's very similar. It it is. Yeah, you're right.
0: right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the boards, like the NAVC board and all that. What appeals to you about, I mean, I know these other things are board work too, but what appeals to you about that kind of board work being on a veterinary medical board? Um, Like what's good about that? I know what I think about it because I think it's great, but. What do you, what do you think? Cause I want, I want veterinarians to see how diverse your life can be as a vet. And right. I think this is part of that, that some of the things that so you, the,
1: the very first board that I joined was the, the animal shelter board. They, I kind of was a found the found, one of the founding mothers, if you will, of the group that started to help um, take care of the the animal shelter in dearborn and prior to us kind of coming on board and raising money and, and trying to help the animals there it was really just um you know a police officer or uh you know a, somebody there to take care of the animals and to go out on calls and pick up the strays i mean they, right. they didn't have anyone no medical, medical, care. No medical yeah. care no medical care no medical background they had they had these two huge, like, fenced-in areas separated by just a fence. They put boy cats here, girl cats here, one litter box. They would ha- sometimes <laughs> have 10 to 30 cats on each side. Oh, wow. And and did they always have the boys separated from the girls? No. Of course and, not. And they were separated by chain links. So, yes, <laughs> things, things could happen. You have a lot um, of kittens. And... And they didn't have, um, they just, the way that they euthanized was not super humane either. Yeah. And so one of the first things when I started getting involved and one of my clients got me, got me involved with the shelter, she took me over there and showed me what was going on. And I was a new, new grad. I had only really? really been maybe a year or two. Wow. And, and I went over there and went, Whew. so I just decided once a week on my day off. <laughs> I would go work life balance would, for you. Yeah. I would you I would euthanize the, the uh the animals because I felt like they weren't doing it right. So right. So that's how it's I sort of got started it with started. It. and then okay. then we created the it was Friends um Friends for the Dearborn Animal Shelter was what it was called first. Right. Um now it's Friends for Animals of Metro Detroit because they're a lot bigger. But the uh we got someone who would come on and she was a vet tech and she became the director. And then we, we developed a board and then I became medical director. So I was helping to write policy and those kinds of things. And, and you didn't, I didn't need to have a special um, background to write medical policy. I just, I was a veterinarian. And so I knew what was appropriate. (laughs)
0: Right. And Um, what made sense.
1: Yeah. What made sense. And then if I, You know, I really hadn't been involved with shelter medicine, and now shelter medicine is huge, right? It's a big thing thing now. Mm -hmm. But um, way back then, it it sort of was in its infancy. So I really I wasn't a member of of a a group or an association. I just sort of was winging it,
0: right? Right, figuring it (laughs) out as
1: you go, and and it then I learned more, and then you know it got a little bit more involved, but. You know, being on that board, um, I liked it. I liked the people and I liked the work because I felt like we were making a difference in mm-hmm. those animals' lives. You know, going from the big cages to like individual stainless steel cages and Keep just them you know,
0: separate,
1: Doing like, yeah. little things. Yeah, separating right. those cats. Yeah, um, but you know, then for the NAVC, the North American Vet Community Board, um, my friend Dr. Melinda Merck and you know Melinda too. She she had been on the board and I I she had always talked very highly of it and what a great time she was having and how wonderful you know wonderful works they were doing for the profession and I thought oh that sounds great and, but you know I was super busy at the time doing right other yeah things. you had
0: enough other things going. yeah
1: and the first time she asked me if I would be interested I'm like oh no 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 I don't have time I don't have time I didn't raise my hand yeah but then um. <laughs> Then she asked me again a few years later, and it was just like a, at a perfect time in my life. Um, you know, kids were graduating college, and I, you know, was a little more relaxed in what I was doing at work. So I'm like, huh, sounds interesting. So she, you know, she didn't give up on me. Yeah, and, she got and you. That, it. that board, um, that board was just so incredible. It, it became my family. And yeah. even to this day, all of the You know the people who i interacted with um all of the other board members and past presidents you know i've just stayed super close with and and also the you know the staff um you know the ceo and and a lot of the staff the team the team um uh, for nebc i've just stayed super close with so i and they were such they're such a well-functioning board you know, there's dysfunctional boards out there. I've heard horror stories about right, right. <laughs> this board has always been such. Well, at least since I've been on it, I heard some horror stories from before. Before, but, but from since I've been on it, and even you know, going forward to now, it's just an amazing board, and they get so much done, and it's they really have helped the profession. I feel like move forward in yeah. so many different ways.
0: Yeah, and personally, I think when you're on. When you're in a group like that, a bigger group of veterinarians, it's so good for you personally, mm-hmm. you know, like there's so many veterinarians that I wouldn't know today had I not put myself in my local community, VMA, right. my state VMA, you know, the NAVC's national, international. And right. so there's just so many people you meet just by putting yourself out there. And I, yeah. I. I really encourage veterinarians when they get into this profession to try to meet other veterinarians, because we all understand what it's Mm -hmm. like to live this life. And we all understand what the stressors are. And we understand, you know, how it can get very upsetting and how you can end up on the floor, you know, crying some days, you know, we, we have all had those days. And so I think if the more people that you can get yourself around that have those similar experiences, the more healthy your career can be. And so, you know, if, if being on a board is not your bag, I, you know, even joining the associations and just being a part of, you know, right. the CE events or the, you know, the VMX and,
1: event yeah. is huge, but. Those and then, of- you know, the, the most recent thing I've been doing is um, I've been involved with MentorVet as yeah, a, yeah, as a me mentor, yeah uh, as a mentor to new grads. So, you know the new, the new group, some so with Mentorvet and I, Mentorvet has now um, combined, and I can't remember the name of their new their new thing they're doing with the AVMA, but the AVMA has um, I think is helping to underwrite some um, of the cost of um, new grads, so new grads can sign up for this program where they they learn to handle, you know, day to day and life and how to handle certain situations. Mm -hmm. And as a mentor, um, they're able to, they don't have to have a mentor, but if they would like to have a mentor, that's where like myself and there's so many other mentors out there come into it. And then, you know, they can meet with us and ask us questions and we can help them personally through any situations that they may have just So they know there's somebody there I know for me as a young vet, having that other veterinarian in the practice that was a mentor for me, you know, he helped me through so much, you know, where I may have given up because I feel like what the other, you know, what the boss wanted was appropriate, but he was able to kind of help me through those things. So you're really a mentor is just so invaluable and it's a, it's a way to give back. Right. And that's what I've always done, either giving back to my community, giving back to, you know, the animals, but giving back to giving back to the profession.
0: Yeah. And that's so fulfilling.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's very fulfilling. I think sometimes people um, at least I hear it with a lot of the people that I coach is they just feel so overwhelmed by their job and so overwhelmed by all of the things that that brings that they don't think they have the capacity to reach out for help or reach out to work on themselves or you know even create some boundaries and i i really think that if you can get those relationships going whether it be a mentor or a coach or you know just a group of other veterinarians that you meet with once a month you know i had one of those when i was an owner i met with a bunch of hospital owners every month that those relationships where you can talk about what's happening and that get that support is really what keeps your, keeps your mental health. It keeps you healthy mentally because you're not in that I'm, I'm feeling alone and overwhelmed and I can't handle it, you know, because a lot of what anxiety is caused by is just those thoughts that I can't handle what's happening right now. You know, and if you can, if you can get someone else that says, yeah, you can handle that because I did it once or, You know, like I got fired from my first job. So if anybody's really struggling with their job, I'm like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? You can get fired. And when I got fired, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And not at the time, like at the time it was horrible, but it ended up being really good for me. So I think if you can just like reach out to somebody and get those similar experiences, it it can help you a lot with your, with that mental health piece of vet med. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So tell me one thing that I didn't ask you or that you think we should talk about before we wrap this up. Is there something that you were like, oh, I really think we should say this and we can do this again if you like it. But just before we end this podcast, something that I didn't ask or that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about.
1: Trying, trying to think. <laughs> okay, put about people on the spot when I say that yeah
0: um like do you have mom advice because you're a mom and a grandmom now right
1: yeah like do you
0: have mom advice for vets like how do you be a good mom and be a hospital owner and a good vet maybe that's a good
1: question to ask you so I think for me it was just involve. you know involving my kids in what I was doing
0: Okay, yeah, we're and
1: gonna also, to work with you, and yeah, yeah, I yeah, <laughs> my kids spent a lot of I have, time. I have a really hospital. funny story. <laughs> I have a funny story of when I brought my boys, so I have a my daughter's the oldest, and then I have two boys. And I think the boys were like, maybe, I don't know, I, they probably remember better than me, but they were young. They were under ten for sure. Yeah. So they were like a year and a half apart. They came in one day and hung out for a little bit, and they watched me remove a big fatty lump, big lipoma. Oh yeah, those are fun. <laughs> so they were watching and they were going, ew, you know, they I, they gowned up and yeah, the whole thing. It. And all they wanted to do, they they were like, ew, gross blah, 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 blah. But all they wanted to do when it was all over was was play with the fatty lump.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's like a squish. <laughs> a boy thing,
1: right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that that was
1: funny. But um and then my daughter, you know what? She, as a young girl, she always she looked to me. Right here's her mom being a veterinarian and an owner, and yeah, she said I want to do that, and I I, I want to be a vet like mom. But um, I was so proud of her because um, she finally realized that vet med wasn't for her, and she mm-hmm. realized that I think after going to eighth grade vet camp at MSU, <laughs> she's like this is <laughs> really fun, but but I don't think I want to do this yeah, you know and it's- this kind of thing. But I, but I, but, but still I feel so proud of her because then she decided she wanted to be a special ed teacher and that's something that really takes so much strength, right? Yeah.
0: And empathy and compassion and all
1: that. Yeah. So I still, I still feel like what I do, what I do and what I did and what she saw growing up, I think helped her. Yeah. reach that and come to that conclusion. And she's an amazing teacher. I think that's
0: a really good lesson for veterinarians that are moms out there, especially with young kids or younger kids, because they have a lot of that mom guilt, right? Like, Oh, I'm working and that's not right. I should be home with my kids. Like that's the story that, you know, that makes us feel guilt. And I, I have asked veterinary moms, it's like what good is it doing for your kids to see their mom doing this. And I I don't think we ever think about that. Like my kids saw me being a business owner and, you know, firing people and hiring people and, you know, having those tough days and bringing them to work on the weekends because I had to do paperwork and, you know, having them help me pick up, you know, plant flowers at the hospital or whatever. But just that example that you're setting for them makes them stronger. And it sounds like that's what happened with your daughter. Yeah. And just my mom's strong. I'm going to be strong.
1: Right, and just also, you know, involving them in everything that you do, like you said, and you know, they they would come. I'd have a couple of open houses. They would come to the open houses and be. I may I put them to work. Right. And, you know, yeah. Them involved, and you know, so they felt a part of it. And when they were really young, you know, it was hard. You know, because very I. Very I, I was a nursing mom and I would, you know, have to go off and Pumping pump at <laughs> work. <laughs> you know, so I know that's, you know, that, and, yeah. and did, you know, you do, you feel, oh gosh, I can't be with, with the kids all the time, but when you can be with them, then you just, it's that much more special and you just make the time, you know, yeah. and that's just how life
0: was. And, and you value yeah. it more, I think on some yeah. level. Yeah. You're yeah. like, it's more valuable. Yeah. I love that. And then again,
1: thank goodness for my husband because he was there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You have to have a good partner. I think a lot of, a lot of ways, if you're going to
1: do like we did, but. And if you, and if you don't at least have other people that can help you, right. There's a lot of single parents out there and you know, they do a really good job, but I think they, they have the support of friends and family, right. Right. Even if they don't have a partner. Right. Um, It's, it's definitely doable and they can be great parents, just like we can, you know, great
0: parents and great veterinarians at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to be perfect. Oh, that's so cool. All right. So it's, we're getting kind of long, so let's wrap it up a little bit. Do you have like one piece of advice you want to give? I mean, I think that was great. What we just said, anything else you want to offer? Just maybe just
1: that, you know, I feel to this day, I'm just so happy that this was my choice to become a veterinarian. Yes, yeah, since I was little, mm-hmm. and I, and if I had to do it all over again, I would do the exact same thing. Yeah, and and now I'm getting close to retirement, and you know, every animal I see, it just that piece of it, it just brings me so much joy to be able to help them or help. You know, one of my clients, I had, I had a young man who had to euthanize his his old baby and he was really struggling with it yeah and for for me to be able to help him through that and then at the end when he should just be a mess and him saying thank you right you you know that you know that this is something I was meant to do yeah, and that makes me feel good. And I, yeah, I, would, such never, a gift. I would never go back and, and do anything else. Yeah, no matter how hard it is sometimes or sure. how much you struggle. Right. Um, and it's a such a worthwhile thing. And I just, I hope more and more people will see that and become veterinarians. Yeah, <laughs> so.
0: it's so rewarding. I mean, that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. Like I want people to love vet med. It's so yeah. cool. It's I just agree. the greatest profession that you could ever participate in, even though it's hard, even though there's, yeah. you know, there's, there's all the hard stuff, but there's so much good stuff like the, the clients and the pets and, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just so, so rewarding. So I'm I'm glad you said that because I, it's just exactly the
1: same way I feel. It's yeah. so amazing. I mean, and I, and and I may not be yes. doing, yeah, I was going to say, sorry to interrupt you. I may no, not be ahead. doing this. I may not be doing the day-to-day going into, you know, going into my job day-to-day when I retire, but I'm not going to be out of vet med. I'm still going to be doing stuff.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm still working in vet med and now doing this out of vet med because I just want to stay with that community. And when you were talking about like feeling so privileged that you're doing this and this was your dream. When you were a kid, your dream was this. And, you know, I try to remind people of that, like this was your dream and now you have it yeah. and now you can create more dreams within this, you know, it, it is, it's very cool. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here so much. If somebody wants to reach out and find you, where can they reach you or where would, I mean, there's a lot of places that they can find you, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, they well, they can find me on LinkedIn,
0: Okay, know, just
1: click for Cheryl Good, um, they can also, if they if they wanted to send me an email, um, I would right now I would say do see good at vetcore dot com mm-hmm. at vetcore okay see at vetcore.com. They can reach okay. me if they want to put email it, I'll, me. But but LinkedIn is LinkedIn has all the things. I'm yeah I'm always,
0: LinkedIn. You can just search yeah. on anybody and you're easy to find yeah. there because you have all these all these uh, little initials after your name because you're on all these boards. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you doing this.
1: Yeah, it was really time. fun. I know
0: you worked all day and it's evening now. You can see it's getting dark. So yeah. I'm really happy that you recorded this. And if anybody, you know, wants to get a hold of Cheryl and you can't find her on LinkedIn, email me and I'll get you in touch.
1: Yeah, no worries. I'll be happy to help anybody.
0: Yeah, of course. I love it. Well, thank no you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, you take care.
0: Yeah, have a beautiful week, everyone. Bye. Bye, Cheryl.